Merry Christmas, church. It is good to be with you on this Lord's Day. I, I'm glad that uh, Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday this year. I'm looking forward to gathering twice with you. Really looking forward to studying Philippians 1. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Philippians chapter 1. And tonight we'll be looking at one of my favorite passages in the book of Genesis. Uh, so please come tonight at 5 o'clock. And we will have a, a brief service, 45 minutes to an hour, real brief. And we'll explore that together. But this morning, I'm going to take an unusual spin on a Christmas message and explore with you Philippians 1, beginning in verse 27. This is what the Apostle Paul said to a congregation that was hurting. Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Focus especially on this verse, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also Suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. We say Merry Christmas a lot during this time of the year. I was curious where that phrase came from. According to one person I read, it was first used in the year 1699 by an English admiral. It's the first time in literature that we can find those two words being put together. Merry Christmas. Eventually, it got more traction when uh, it was used by Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, popularizing the term. And today, it's all over the place. It's on shirts, it's on a million Christmas cards, and it's straightforward. It is a statement that is a wish. It is a wish that we give to other people saying, I hope your Christmas is full of joy. I hope your Christmas is happy. Sometimes there's a little... Uh, fight between saying Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, but the point is, is really the same. At least it is a wish from one person to another that we hope things are going well for you during this Christmas season, and yet the sad thing for many, and many of you who are gathered here, the reality is that for many people, Christmas isn't merry, and the holidays are not happy. I had a moment back in my childhood, I went back to my childhood in my mind yesterday, scrolling through my news feed on Facebook, when I saw the post of a friend that was in the youth group with me. I remember as a high school student going to her dad's funeral on Christmas Eve. She posted a family picture of her when she was a child with her mom and her dad there, expressing her grief, and I'm editing here, but she said, hashtag Christmas stinks. And for her, Every year, Christmas is simply a reminder of the pain that she went through. Her Christmas is neither merry nor happy. Now, for some of us, it's great. There's eggnog. There's, there's dessert left and right. Uh, the kids get excited about the toys. No one's going to complain about a few days off. But the real thing that makes Christmas Christmas for most of us is the family. Few of us will drive hundreds of miles or get plane tickets to go to a favorite restaurant, but you will do that for your grandkids in a heartbeat. 
Because Christmas is a time of gathering as a family. And yet for other people, Christmas is simply miserable. It is extremely painful or extremely joyful. Christmas seems to put a magnifier over our emotions because we are reminded as we gather around the Christmas tree, to those of you who've lost loved ones this year, we are reminded who isn't there. And so Christmas can be hurtful for a lot of people. Christmas forces us to recollect, to think back about the good old days, and it makes the sting of death feel sharp. We experience it all over again. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel like life has delivered you this Christmas, one big lump of coal. The reason I'm focusing on that this morning, on Christmas Eve, I know it can sound like a downer of a message, but just stick with me here. When I reflected on this year, only half of which I have spent with you, I quickly saw that this has been a year of pain in the life of our congregation. Let's review some of that pain. Some of you lost dear friends who no longer come to this church when they chose, feeling hopefully led by God, to go somewhere else, and that was painful for you. Many of you have laid to rest your loved ones. Two future in-laws of the Benedict family recently passed away. Rachel Winters, whose husband I just baptized, has buried two brothers. The Hughes lost a son. Diane Zigliknicki lost a sister. Sue McIntyre lost her mom. Nicole Fisher, her dad. Andrea Claxton, her dad. Bill Glidden, her brother. Rick Morgan, his father. Butch Kagey, his dad and brother. And we could go on. And it's not just family members of relatives, okay? It's, it's our own church family. You go back to January. How did we ring in the new year but with losing our very own Joe Brennan? No doubt a pillar of this church. Carolyn Williams is no longer with us. Helen Mayberry is not with us. When we were printing out the directory, we gave out a church directory at our last, last Sunday at a church conference. And just before we were getting ready to print the final copy, Lee and I looked at each other and we were like, I guess we should delete Dennis Chambers. Because he just died. And then... On the phone this past week with Reba Presley, many of you will not know them, but they're shut-ins. Uh, she's with her husband, Terry, typically on Sunday, not able to come. She watches us on live stream pretty faithfully, I'm told. Hospice has been called in. We're not sure when it'll happen. Days to live. She told me, she said, Pastor Rick, he's falling over so much. He looks like he's got bruises all over his body. We had to actually take his mattress and put it on the floor. So he kept falling and hurting himself. Three rounds of chemo, 35 radiation treatments, and now the only thing he can eat is popsicles. Merry Christmas. You see, Christmas doesn't always feel merry. Sometimes when you come to church and you, you hear, you know, you see a bunch of red and green and you're, you hear Merry Christmas left and right, it can feel like pouring salt in a wound, saying that Christmas is merry. For some of you, Blue Christmas is not just an Elvis song, it's your reality. And as you watch other people, Pastor Eric told me this when I was reflecting on what I was going to talk about, I was previewing the sermon to him. He, he made the, the astute observation that when one family sees another family rejoicing at the holidays, it can make their loss all the more acute. 
And that's why I'm drawn to Philippians 1. Because in this chapter, the apostle is writing a letter to a group of Christians who are hurting. And I want to read to you our key verse one more time. It says, For it has been granted to you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. The first point I have for you this morning is that we should remember that our suffering is from God. We should remember that our suffering is from God. That's the main thing I'm trying to say. Notice the, how the verse begins. Notice the verb. It says, I don't want you to look at me. I need you actually looking at the text here because you've got to see this in the text. For it has been granted. That's the verb. Has been granted. That's a passive verb, which means the subject of that verb is implied and it's not stated. If I said, Chris kicked the ball, the subject is Chris, the, the verb is kick. If I said, the ball has been kicked, well, we know the ball's been kicked, but we don't know who kicked the ball. And so that's how it is in this situation. Paul says, it has been granted, and, and something has been granted. We don't know who has been granted, if that's all we look at. But there's two things that are being granted here that reveal who the subject is. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also to suffer. Well, who is it that grants salvation? Who has the power to do that? Obviously, that's not us. That's God. And so the subject matter here is God. And what does he also grant? In addition to granting belief and salvation, it says he grants suffering. I want you to see that I'm not reading that into the text. I want your eyes to lay on verse 29 of chapter 1. For it has been granted to you, the church, skip over the first part, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Sometimes God grants us things that make us smile, and other times he grants us things that cause us pain. Sometimes God grants that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And this verse is clear that it is his plan, that he, he causes it, he places us in it. And so God is in charge when we are in trouble. He is sovereign when we are suffering. He is providential when we are in pain. And this truth, as hard as it is to believe, is actually found all over the Bible. Let me show you several other passages that make the same point. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, this is Joseph talking, you meant evil against me, that is to his brothers. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are today. So here's these brothers who are done a bunch of evil, sinful things that were a violation of God's will, and somehow that action fit into his perfect plan and so that in reflection, Joseph could say, God meant this, the suffering that I've endured. God meant it for good. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Notice, there it is, right there, that it was the Lord's idea for Satan to consider what he may do to Job. Matthew 26, 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, this is Jesus in the garden, your will be done. And we know how that story played out. God's will did happen and involved a cross and a death and bleeding and beating. And that was God's will. 1 Peter 4, 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will. Do you see that? That the suffering is according to 
God's will, that those people should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Think about that first nativity scene. We all know that that was God's plan, right? Think of the pain that that involved. Think of the embarrassment that Joseph felt, thinking, well, was Mary unfaithful to me? I know that baby's not my baby. Think of the shame that Mary would have felt. Think of them not even having a hotel to stay in. That the light of the world is in a cold, dark stable, as one author put it. The first Christmas was not very merry, and it was God's perfect plan. And so this is the point I want to make. I have one point I'm trying to make this morning. That these texts show over and over again that pain is often God's plan for us all along. And so God's in control over every hiccup in the real estate market. He's in control of every bad diagnosis. He's in control of every failed relationship. He is in control of every funeral that you've been to. And this is a heavy truth that needs to be qualified in lots of ways. Let me give you one example of how we could run amok in thinking this. Let's say you have a child who's killed by a drunk driver. Was that God's will? Listen, was it God's will for that person to get drunk? No, it was a violation of his will. Did God cause that driver to get drunk? No, God is not the agent that tempts us. It is true that Scripture often speaks when negative things happen of God allowing things. God is not always presented as the active agent. Sometimes God gets out of the way and lets Satan act. Other times he gets out of the way and he lets us pursue our own devices, our own plans that are against his will. And yet we have to be fair to the multifaceted character of God. Sometimes God is the active agent in our causing our pain. Other times he just steps back and allows it. And yet in all of it, he is in charge. I want you to get this, folks, that God grants our suffering. That's exactly what Paul says, that in the middle of our pain, it is God who we look to as the one in charge of our circumstances. And this truth can make us upset. This truth can make us mad. Because deep down, I think there's a desire for Jesus to be kind of like Santa. You ever thought about the parallels there? One lives up north, the other in heaven. They both live up somewhere. Both want us to be good. Both will sometimes reward us for being good. But here's something Satan doesn't have, Santa doesn't have in his red bag. I did not just relate Santa to Satan. Eric, thank you for coming. The door over there. Pastor Eric just got back from preaching in, uh, where did you, you preach? Nicomas? Good deal, brother. Glad you made it. We want a God who will give us milk and cookies and who will stuff our stocking. That's the God that we want. We don't like the God who Paul writes about here that God will grant us suffering sometimes. And yet I think if we unfold this truth a little bit more, we will find that we want this to be true. We should want this to be true. Here's the next thing I want to show you, that God gives us suffering as a gift. Look at that word grant again. This is the, the whole sermon turns on that one verb. For it has been granted to you also to suffer 
for his name's sake. I was stunned when I looked this word up in a Greek dictionary this week. I wanted to know, grant, what does that mean, a grant? When God grants something, I was stunned to see how this same word is used in other contexts. Let me show it to you. Luke 7, 21. It's up there. In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. That word bestowed there, same word. He granted them sight. And here, the sight is a good thing. The sight is a, a gift. Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That word graciously give, same word. God is saying, or Paul is saying, God's giving you Jesus. If God's giving you Jesus, how will he not also give you other things? He's a good, gracious God who loves to give good things to his children. Same word. Philippians 2, verse 9. Just keep reading the book of Philippians. Philippians, you come to this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That word bestowed, same word. So here's Jesus who has a great name, a name that is exalted above all other names. It's a good name. It's a good gift that God bestows, that God grants. And so is our suffering, Paul says. So God is giving my pain as a gift to me. And that sounds crazy. How in the world does it feel like a gift? Maybe a gag gift, but not a real gift. Well, here's how I think he uses it as a gift. Because God, in dark times, God uses these dark times to mold us to his will. God uses dark times to expose sin in our own life. God uses dark times to make us more compassionate toward other people who are suffering. God uses dark times to teach us to pray. God uses our testimony in the middle of dark times to teach us to be a faithful testimony to our unbelieving friends who are watching how we suffer. God uses our dark times to teach us not to love this world more than we should. He uses darkness in our life to cast all of our hope on heaven. If Christmas was always merry, you know what we would want? Our hope would just be that the next December 25th would get here. But when Christmas isn't merry, our prayer is, come Lord Jesus. It is pain that actually makes us want Jesus to come back. And Paul is saying this not to a class of seminarians exploring the character of God. He is saying, God is granting your suffering, and he's saying it to people who are suffering. And every pastoral instinct within me says, that's going to make people mad if you actually say that. Paul knows better. Because what is the alternative? What's the alternative, right? We don't want God to be in charge in our pain. Well, would you rather be in charge? Would would you do that much better? Would you rather Satan be in charge? Would you rather chance be in charge? You see, we should want to be true. We should desire it's true because if this is true, that God is still in charge in the middle of our pain, if that is still true, then we can actually pray with confidence. Then we can pray with confidence because if God's in charge, he has the power to answer our prayers. If he's not in charge, why does praying even matter? If our suffering is from God, then he can bring good from our pain. There really can be good that works together for all who are called according to his purpose. If God is in charge, if, if that's not true, then our pain is just pain. There's no silver lining. It just stinks. 
And so while it is cliche, it is comforting that when we cannot trace his hand, we can trust his heart. If God is in charge in our suffering, there's hope. If God's in charge in our suffering, there's hope that he'll never give us more than we can handle. If God's in charge of our suffering, then there's hope that it'll be temporary. There's hope that one day we're going to laugh again. So I was probably three or four months out of being ordained as a pastor when my music leader at the time was hit, I think, full speed on his bicycle coming home from work. And I'm in the kitchen of the widow, Pastor Rick. Was this God's plan, or was it just an accident? And as difficult as it was to share with the widow what I honestly thought, I said, this was God's plan. Because if it's not God's plan, there is no hope in it. If it is God's plan, then we can get up in the morning. And so as I close, church, I want to I leave you with this. That if your Christmas isn't merry because of someone you've lost last year, then I'm asking you to believe what is contrary to your feelings. I'm asking you to believe what is contrary to your feelings. I want you to believe that God has a plan. I want you to believe what is contrary to your feelings and that is God loves you when it doesn't feel like he loves you. Believe what is contrary to your feelings and you need to believe that he is not absent. Believe what is contrary to your feelings that he is a God who brings good out of pain. Believe what is contrary to your feelings by asserting the truth of that old hymn that behind God's frowning providence hides a smiling face. If your Christmas isn't merry, then know that we celebrate the first advent. The a advent is a word that means coming. It's the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. But we call it the, we don't call it the advent, we call it the first advent. Because there's going to be a second advent. And this time he's not going to be standing beside a horse in a stable. He's going to be riding a horse. Coming back in glory and he is going to fix all that is broken in our universe, including everything that is broken in your heart. So may God make his word give us hope during a dark time. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless your people under your word during this hour. Lord, help us to know how to move forward in the face of pain, a painful season for so many people. Lord, help, help the pastors and deacons and community group leaders here and the staff know how to be sensitive to the various dynamics of some families in extreme joy and others in extreme heartache and other people in both. It just depends on the day. Lord, I pray that you would really meet us in our agony. Comfort us by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stay seated right now. Our time of response, I can't think of any way to respond except to just bow in prayer. This morning, I'm going to ask you to pray for something very specifically. And, and as you close your eyes, Cody's going to sing. But as you're praying, I'm asking you, number one, if, if your Christmas isn't merry, I'm going to ask you to cast that care onto the Lord, believing that he's a God who loves you and is in charge. 
But if you find yourself in a, in a position where, really, life's pretty good, then I'm asking you to mentally find someone who isn't, whose story is quite different. And I'm asking you to spend these next moments praying for them because I'm telling you, this can be a painful season for many in our church. And so let's spend our time of response all right in our seats, bowed in prayer. Let's pray together.